All right, good morning, you guys. We are starting a brand new series today into the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you guys do not have a Bible, or maybe you forgot one, uh, we've got some extra ones that are on uh, the welcome table there. Feel free to jump up and grab one. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one or just don't have access to one, take it with you. Be glad, to, glad for you guys to have that. Um, just in case, uh, you, if you're listening to this in the future, you won't know this, but I... Um, I'm part- participating in something called Septembeard, and uh, um, I, uh, I, <laughs> it's, you can't hardly tell because I, I, can, I grow a horrible beard. It, um, it's about as bad as what I could do when I was 13, um, but it's for a good cause. Uh, I have a friend who uh, went through prostate cancer, and Septembeard is for prostate cancer awareness, and uh, so um, I'm jumping into that uh, and growing a really ugly facial hair on my, uh, on my face. But uh, that's what's going on in case you look and say, what, what's Dave trying to do because he's not succeeding? Um, all right, so the meaning of life. The meaning of life is blank. This is a thing we're going to be doing. Um, some man on the street videos in uh, the, the days and the weeks ahead, talking to people down in the park, talking to people in other areas just asking them, you know, what is, what's the meaning of life? Um, how do you know if you find purpose or meaning in life? Where do you go to to find meaning or purpose in life? And, of course, if you've uh, read the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you know the answer to that is, there you go, that's for all the nerds in the house. Whoop, whoop. Um, why are you here? What is your purpose? That's what the book of Ecclesiastes digs into, uh, there's some key words um, that you're going to find in these 12 chapters. Um, the word either meaningless or vanity or futile occurs 37 times in these, in these 12 chapters. The phrase under the sun occurs 28 different times. So when you hear those words and those phrases, you need to pay, a, pay attention. Um, this book w- has been hotly debated over the years, particularly back in uh, uh, about, about 2,000 years ago, whether it should have been in, included in the Old Testament canon or not, uh, because it's, it's got all of these seeming contradictions. Uh, it seems like it poses questions and, and doesn't give the answers to them. And they're right, at least about the last part, that it poses a lot of questions uh, and doesn't necessarily give the answer to it. And you may not be used to that, but uh, that's, that's called the Socratic method. Um, and so this person who's uh, teaching and the person who's writing this, they are trying to stir you, to stir your heart, to stir your mind, to uncover what's really under the surface in the decisions that you make, in the thoughts that you have, the beliefs that you have, the worldviews that you follow. What's behind all of that? Herman Melville was an agnostic, um, and in the uh, chapter 96 of Moby Dick, he said this, the truest of all men was the man of sorrows, and the truest of all books is Solomon's, and Ecclesiastes is the fine-hammered steel of woe. The truest of all books, he said. Fine-hammered steel of woe, and if you hadn't read it yet, um, you're going to understand why as we walk through it, of of, uh, just the anguish the anxiety that it can can bring. It's going to stir up some things in you. 
It's going it's to check what you're anchored to and how tight that, and strong that chain is and to see if it's movable or not. This book, I mean, it captured even that outspoken agnostic, Herman Melville. So let's go. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, and the sea is not full, to the place where the streams flow, where they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. There is a thing of which is said, see, this is new. It's already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for this book. We thank you that it, was, it truly speaks to a postmodern generation. It speaks to a Western culture of where we put our hope, where we put our trust. Um, I specifically thank you for this first part, God, that we're in right now, Lord, that begins to question shakable worldviews, that begins to tap at... Um, the areas in which we go to try to find real meaning and purpose and finds them empty, Lord. And though it will make some worried and anxious, God, it is one of the greatest gifts for us to see if, if we're anchored somewhere that ultimately will sink. God, bless, bless us today. God, uh, preach to me first. Help me to change as day, God. To my friends that are here, these men, these women, these students and boys and girls, God, may you change us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Let's talk about the author. Um, uh, the, the ancient scholars up until modern times all said that the author was Solomon. Uh, in, in recent days, others have, have questioned that. Um, and, and, and it's okay, uh, I mean, you, you can go through this and say, I don't believe it's Solomon. You can go through this and say, I believe it was Solomon. Either way is okay. You're still going to be hit hard by the truths that are in this. I'm going to follow what the, the years of historic tradition and assume that it was Solomon. And so I'm going to have some angles that I'm looking at um, as it being uh, Solomon as, as the author. Um, they've said that, I mean, if you look at these wisdom books, you've got Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Others would call it Canticles, um, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Um, historically, people have said uh, the Song of Solomon was written either written during Solomon's early days or written about his early days. That Proverbs was written during his the middle of his life, and that the, that this Ecclesiastes was written in his older life after a time of rebellion and rejection of God and a time of repentance back, back to God. Um, the, the word 
for this book is, the Hebrew word is koheleth. Um, and the, the, we see the Greek word uh, ecclesiastes. But uh, the Hebrew word koheleth, it either means preacher or it means teacher. Now, what's interesting is it's, uh, the, the word it talks about someone who gathers people to teach and to tell truth. And that's the reason why uh, the, the word Ecclesiastes is, is used because that word, uh, the word, the root of that word, ecclesia, means the gathering. And if, if you know much about the book of Acts, um, you know that the church and the gathering is actually called the ecclesia. And so Ecclesiastes is uh, about one who comes and gathers those and then speaks truth to them. And so, again, this would be whoever the teacher or the preacher is, I'm, I'm saying and assuming that it was, was Solomon as the teacher or the preacher. Um, when I was young, I didn't like the word preacher um, all that much. I mean, I didn't refer to many people or many pastors as preachers. Uh, I just referred to them as, as a pastor. Uh, because to me, the word preacher just had horrible undertones to it. Um, I mean, I grew up uh, in, in a day of, of where Madonna was, was big and she actually looked young. And, uh, you know, she had a song called Papa Don't Preach, and it was all, it, the, the connotation was someone who really doesn't care, but they're going to they're gonna talk at you. They're not going to walk with you, but they're just going to tell you what you need to do, and then they're going to walk away, and they're going to separate themselves. And that's, that's what I understood, basically, as what a preacher was, is what somebody who was not compassionate, wasn't somebody who engaged you, they just kind of talked at you said, so now you need to go do this. Maybe I'll accept you if you do what I, do what I say. The, the reality is the word preacher actually means proclaimer. It's one who, who tells the truth. And, and so in, in, in the last few years, um, I've come to really embrace that term. And so when somebody says, this is my preacher, somebody will say, someone will say, this is my pastor. Uh, others will say, this is my preacher, you know. And uh, I, I have no offense to that anymore because... I want to be a proclaimer of Jesus. I want to be one who proclaims the, the greatest of all the news. That's the gospel, which is that God came and He lived the perfect life we'd never lived. He died on the cross for us and He rose again because you can't get God in the grave. That's the greatest of all news. And, and so therefore, we're really all to be preachers. And, and, and culture is, is, a, is preaching at you all the time. Every song that you hear is preaching. It's proclaiming something. Every movie, every book, every piece of art preaches something. Every political speech, every commercial or sales pitch, they're preaching. The question that you need to ask is, what is being preached? In the early days of, of, of um, drawing together a core group for, to plant this church when we met in our living room, um, we'd do something during our times on Sunday afternoons that, that I called Christ and Culture. And I would take either, I'd take a, a little movie clip, right? A lot of times I'd take a, a song and we'd, we'd listen to it and we'd say, what is it preaching? You know, what, what is this saying about, about the world? What is its worldview and where is it saying that you can go to find purpose or meaning? And I'm telling you, you we want to train you. You need to keep your eyes and ears wide open because you're being preached at all the time. Let me give you an example. There's a fairly new show called Mad Men, and uh, it's about advertising executives back in the 60s 
uh, on Madison Avenue there, there in Manhattan. And uh, it's, a, it's an interesting show. Um, Don Draper is the primary character, and, and this is what he said about advertising. Advertising is based on one thing, happiness. And you know what happiness is? Happiness is the smell of a new car. It's freedom from fear. It's a billboard on the side of the road that screams reassurance that whatever you are doing is okay. You are okay. Everything around you is preaching. It's preaching something. Here is what makes life worth living, is what they're saying. Or, or I, I can find meaning by doing this. The New American Standard um, version uh, uses the term teacher, uh, whereas English Standard and, and others will use the word um, uh, preacher. Tim Keller says that, uh, that uh, Solomon is more like a philosophy professor in this, in this book. Uh, the he calls him the teacher, the teacher, and says he uses the Socratic method and gives us more questions than answers. And so the point is this, the book is designed to get us to truly analyze our worldviews and our assumptions. What do you live for? Why do you live for it? What is it that you value? What is it that you hope to achieve in your life? And why do you do anything that you do? Verse 2 says this, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. The New English translation says, Futility of futilities. The, the NIV says, Meaningless. Meaningless. And, and I believe, I mean this word is, it's, it's hard, it's hard to, to, to tap right into just, in just one of the words. I, I think it's got a broad meaning. That's the reason why you'll find different words to describe it, um, I, I believe that, I mean, it gives the nuances of, of a vapor. Uh, it gives the nuances of something just being futile. Um, but I believe probably the word that, that captures it best would be meaningless. And, and I don't mean it from, from a dark perspective that just means, man, there's, there's just nothing that's good about the world and we should, we should all have frowns and we should, we should all just look as if Man, I can't wait until the world ends. It's not that type of a meaningless. The type of meaningless that we're talking about is it's a place where you can't find your meaning. That is what this story is about. And what the teacher is going to do is he's going to go and slowly dismantle every area that we tend to go to in our lives where we say, here's where I'll find purpose. Here's where I'll find meaning. And he says, nope. You will not find meaning there. It's meaningless. You can't find it there. It doesn't mean that the, the parts of life that we're supposed to engage, that, would in, that we maybe go to and idolize, are not important, and that we're not to press in in those areas. It means don't let that be your Savior. Don't let that be your core. Don't let it be the place that you anchor yourself to. Um, I'm going to be using quite a few commentaries um, and, and have even for this session, but I've but I got to tell you this, um, Tim Keller really, really sent me reeling in, in, his, in his message on this section. He, he didn't exegete, he didn't go through and teach the entire book, but he did teach through this section, um, and it, his, the things he had to say greatly influenced me, and there's some points that I'm going to be making that I got from him 
um, that were just tremendous. Uh, one of them was how he, he pointed out, again, he, pointing out that Solomon was a, like a philosophy professor, that he deals with three primary worldviews here in these 11 verses. Uh, humanism, hedonism, and existentialism. Humanism, um, which, by the way, it does not equate to secular humanism. But humanism basically states that meaning of life is in the betterment of your world. That that's the worldview of humanism. That you pour yourself into try to making the world a better place. And that's the meaning of life is, is the core of humanism. Hedonism will tell you that the meaning of life is found in pleasure for myself. It's not in giving to others. It's not in philanthropy. Hedonism is, man, it's all about me. Existentialism uh, on the other hand, says, no, life is meaningless. <laughs> it's, it's, this is all that you see. However, be courageous and bring goodness to the world anyway. So you're not going to find your meaning in the world, but even knowing that fact, existentialists would say, be good anyway. So in 12 chapters, the teacher brings conundrums and a few answers, but it's in the last two sentences of the book he draws his conclusion about a fourth worldview. A fourth worldview. And we'll come back to that. You can look ahead if you like, but you can see it in the very last two, two verses there. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil in which he toils under the sun? Gain. This is what you have after you've planned, after you've invested after you've worked and failed and worked and, and made some progress, worked some more, and at the end, profit or gain is what, is what anything more than what you began with. Profit and gain. Good financial executives are always looking at their P&Ls, their profit and loss statements. They want to see if the trends of the business are moving forward or if they're moving backwards. And, and you should... You should be analyzing your life. I mean, you need to find out. You should be able, you should be desiring to gain in your efforts in business or in your relationships and your skills and your education and your hobbies. I mean, we want to get better. We want to add value and we want to enjoy what we do. Jesus said this. He speaks to gain. Mark 8, 34 to 36. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come to me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Verse 36, look at this. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Alright? So right there, Jesus goes at those other philosophies, particularly the, the, the first two. Um, uh, humanism and, and hedonism that, that maybe if you gain the whole world and you improved, so to speak, the world, but you lose your own soul, what good is it? Or the hedonist of suppose you get everything that you've got on, 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 on your desire list, that you've accomplished everything on your bucket list, but yet you lose your soul. What have you really profited if that's the case? The teacher basically places a big P&L statement in front of us and he asks, what gain is there for what you do? What are you really accomplishing? He's asking, what, 
What really matters to you? And with that question, he poses some thoughts. Verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on the circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Now, by the way, this was written before um, much of science um, that came uh, generations and centuries and millennia after this, and yet, yet we see even through, through Scripture, I think uh, the credibility is amazing of what it says about the streams running to the sea, uh, and, and how they, uh, the, the, the water cycle that takes place, and even understanding the winds that, that, and their patterns, how they go in cycles around the world. And, and uh, for generations, people would have read that and not really said, oh, okay, that was nice. And yet now with meteorology and internet and we understand these things, we look and say, holy mackerel, this is written 3,000 years ago. Great credibility for the Bible. But the point that's being made in here is that all things are temporary. Everything, including generations, entire generations. The U.S. population is over 300 million people. The population of China, 1.3 billion people. The Earth's population, 6.7 billion people. That's a generation that's living right now. Okay? I'm not talking about subgroups. I'm talking about the people that are living at this time. Guess what? A hundred years from now, almost every one of that 6.7 billion that, it, that lives right now, they're going to be gone. 6.7 billion people gone. Replaced by, who knows? I don't know. hundred years from now, about 8 billion, 9 billion, 13 billion. Who knows? what it's going to be, but it will be a whole other generation, and this generation of 6.7 billion people are all gone. That's sobering. And I tell you this, beware if what you live for can be taken away, because it will. If what you anchor your life to is going to end, if it's temporal, you're in trouble. This is loving to be able to speak this to one another because we don't, you, don't want, you don't want to ank- tie yourself up if you're a boat out at sea, man. You, know, you don't want to tie yourself up to the Titanic because you're going to go down with that ship. Beware if what you live for can be taken away. I think 9-11 is a sobering reminder of this horrible, wicked atrocity that took, took place on that day. I think tsunamis, earthquakes, car wrecks, other instant tragedies, they speak to this. Life as we know it is temporary. If your hopes are based on the temporary, your hope is going to be destroyed. It's happened in your life, hasn't it? You know, I mean, definitely when, when you lose a, lose a loved one or, or you, you, some, something is important, a dream dies, you're, it's important to grieve that you're supposed to do that. But yet... If that good thing becomes an ultimate thing, then your hope is lost. Can you think of it? Can you think of what's happened in your life to this point? One thing, two things, three things, in which, like, man, I was anchored to that. I mean, it was more than just grief. 
my, my purpose was found there. And, and when it died, when he died, when she died, when the dream died, something in me died. Perhaps we can find something that's truly permanent. Maybe there's something that we can anchor to. Verse 8 says this. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done, un- what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It, is all- it has been already in the ages before us? See, verse 10, there's, there's some have said that the Bible lies here. Say, well, there's nothing new since then. I mean, that's 3,000 years ago. I mean, there's more new things in the last 100 years than the, all, of, all of history before then. So what's going on here? I mean, there's plenty of things. Just in the last five years, there's plenty of new things. I mean, just most of y'all can probably stick your hand in your pocket and pull out something that's where you're wired wirelessly to the world. Lots of things have been new, right? It's not what it's referring to. The point is not about what we literally do, but it's about what we're trying to fill. What we do is not about what we do, it's about why we do it. Let let me repeat that again, because I know that sounded weird. What we do, the things we do, is not really about what we do. It's about why we do it. The teacher points out that we have glasses that can never be filled. It's never enough. There's never enough to see or to taste or to touch. There's never enough to own. There's never enough to control. We do what we do to fill what we need filling, and it's never filled outside of God, the real God. Never. While preparing for this series, uh, I've been listening to... uh, book called Confessions by St. Augustine. Uh, he wrote it in the late 14th century. I bet you didn't know he had podcasts back then, but uh, um, it's been a, a great book. Augustine spoke to this eternal void. He said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That is the core to life right there. I'll read it to you again. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This last section we're going to cover from the teacher is in verse 11. He says, There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. He puts us in our place, you guys. In relation to the history of the world or the entirety of the universe, you do not matter. Woo! Thanks, Dave. You will not matter. Thanks again, Dave. You will not make a difference. I'm out of here, Dave. Now now listen to me. I'm not saying that you're not loved or appreciated by people or by God. What I'm saying, and what the beauty of this, the potency of this truth, of what the teacher is bringing to you, said, look, 
you think you got it together, you think you're God's gift to this world, you don't really matter. You will not make a real difference. Keller said, uh, said this, he said, look, even among your loved ones, about 40 years down the road, you're going to be forgotten. You know, I get another generation or two down, and they're like, well, Granddaddy Dave, I heard he couldn't grow a beard, you know. Um, Keller said, if, if you, maybe if you give millions away, you might be remembered for a hundred years. Or maybe if you rule an empire, you might be remembered for a thousand years. But think about it. Think about the billions of people that have lived in this world. And what, what did they really do? I mean, if you, 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 I thank God that in this church we've got, we've got friends who believe uh, this earth has been around just a few thousand years and some that believe that it's been around for, for billions of years and we're, we're at home together and it's alright, it's okay. Um, if you took it from a real naturalistic viewpoint, if you took God out of the equation, which I believe that's part of what the teacher is doing, it's just kind of setting the scene of like, look, even if you just said there's, there's, no, there's no God, there's no hereafter, and you looked and said, man, look, we're just, even all of humanity is just a flash in the pan. All of us. I mean, it's, you look at the universe and how old, how old it is and, and uh, even the, the hopes of, of, of where we're going. And I mean, it, eventually it's all going to crash. I mean, eventually, I mean, I was, saw something on... Uh, I think it was a Nova program not too long ago. See, you guys, the nerdy thing that I said earlier, it wasn't, it wasn't a slam, I'm, I'm with you. You know, at least I'm, I, I, I want to be. So, but I, I was watching, watching this, and it's like, you know what? There's a, there's a point in which our son is going to explode, and it's going to kill everything in the universe. I mean, everything in the solar system. And so it's, it's, it's like, it's unraveling slowly. Now, it's gonna be, it would be a long time after us. But everything's going to end. Everything is going to end. Even all of humanity is just a small piece. And if you are not just a naturalist, you believe that there's a God, that He's always existed, and He's always going to exist, then it's like this whole period of history is just kind of this big anyway compared to His, his eternity backwards and our eternity forwards. It's just this big. And so... It's a humbling thing to be put in our place and say, you know what, as hard as you're going to try, you're not going to be remembered. Scripture even says that. I mean, you're, you're going to be forgotten. So where does that leave us? Well, humanism, hedonism, existentialism, humanism again. You can't really get meaning out of making a difference because you, you can't. You can't make a difference that's going to last for thousands or millions of years. Hedonism, you can attempt to find your meaning out of pleasure, but it doesn't last. Existentialism, maybe you put on that strong face and just face the fact there's no real purpose in life and be generous to others and try to, try to live, but, but really behind all of that, you're just trying to ignore the truth that it really doesn't matter. It's all unwinding. You're just trying to keep yourself busy to not think that it's all going to end. A lot of times that's, that's how, I mean, even those that practice Zen, 
uh, or other, other forms of Eastern religion. It's, it's more of a thing of like, you know what, we just dis- kind of disconnect, disconnect and, 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 and forget and be empty. Why? Because it's all going to end. They don't think so. They think you're going you're to become one with the universe. But again, it's like if I can just kind of escape it and get away from it. But none of those are really good worldviews. None of those are satisfying to the soul. So we bring in a fourth worldview. Fourth worldview. That there is a God who is sovereign. And I need, need to add that loves you. And the sovereign God comes to rescue you, gives you Himself, which brings meaning to you and to everything you do. Everything. A God that if, you, if you're found within Him and you're saved within Him, then what happens matters. What happens today? What happens next week? What happens next decade? What happens a thousand years from now? That you're with Him and you're with others Forever and ever and ever. And it all, it matters. Everything that, that's going on around. The pain that you're, that you're in right now. The, the relational struggles. That, that there's a purpose. That, that God is doing something because He is creating a story in the middle of all this brokenness. And there's great meaning. Guys, God is the meaning of life. He is the meaning of life. And it, If there is no God, there is no meaning of life. You either just doing what you can to try to make things a little bit better around you for a real short time, or just like, well, everybody else can do whatever they want, man. I'm just looking out for me. You can just try to escape it. Just say, well, I'll just try to ignore it and do as best as I can. But there's no hope found in those worldviews. Let's challenge you today. You guys, uh, there's, there, uh, there may be one or two of you that you're not a believer. You don't believe that Jesus is God the Son. That He rose again from the dead. That He did that for you. Let's challenge you to, today that you, you, you say, God, I, I'm tired of, of looking for meaning somewhere else. Because it's, it's a glass I can never fill. Just keep pouring in and pouring in and pouring in. I can't get to the bottom. I definitely can't get up to the top. Verse 3, again, if you look back, basically was saying, what, what do you gain? I'll take you back to Mark chapter 8 again, where he said, uh, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? But if you looked at the first two verses of there, how do you gain them? How do I find profit? And this is how. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, Jesus is teaching, he's being the preacher, he's gathering to himself right now, and he says, let me tell you how to find gain, how to find profit in this world. He says, come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's my invitation to you today, that if, especially if you're not a believer, if you hadn't come to that tipping point, that aha moment, that today be the day. And you say, all right, Jesus, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming to you. Because I see today, I, the, the, the light has gone off, and I know, I know I can't find it any other way in any other kind of worldview. 
You are the answer. And I'm coming to you. If you guys are Christians, that you would know that life actually does matter. That if you're looking from a different vantage point and you're trying to find meaning or purpose by doing something outside of God and His kingdom, you do not matter and you will not matter. But I want you to know something. To Jesus, you matter. To, you, to Jesus, He says, come with me because I'm changing the world. And so it is such a flip to another side to where you say, without Jesus, there's no hope. With Jesus, I have complete life. Come to Him. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Him. And just say, God, I'm willing. I mean, it's taking up your cross just means, God, I'm willing to go through whatever. It means it's going to be painful. It's not going to be easy. Because it wasn't easy for Jesus. It wasn't easy for His Father. It wasn't easy for the Holy Spirit, for the Trinity to go through what the Trinity did for Jesus to die for us. So why would we think it'd be comfortable? But He invites us into that same Beautiful suffering. He says, come with me. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Follow me. God, would you teach us today what it means to follow you?